Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, hosted by Angel Radcliffe. Tune in as we discuss finances, success stories, and inspiring vibes that will help nurture growth. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, I have a special guest, Nicole Overcamp. She will be with us discussing women and money, and we'll talk about how women should have a purse of their own. Nicole is a personal financial expert and business coach for women. She's a certified chartered financial consultant. She's the founder and CEO of Wilcox Financial Group and Powerhouse Money Coaching. Nicole is a strong advocate for empowering women, and she's a believer in the power of having a network of sisters to build each other up. Let's welcome Nicole to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I am so happy to have you here and have this conversation of women and money and empowerment. The topic is so needed, especially after this last year that we've had with the pandemic and people losing their jobs and really getting into the niche of understanding their finances and how much do you actually need to retire? How much do you need in case you have an emergency? People are also relying on their spouses, women in in particular. We tend to see many women left in a poor financial situation, especially after divorce. Within the last year, of course, divorce numbers have been rising and it is insane the number of people who are splitting up. I want to get into the conversation of women and finances, but of course, our listeners would love to hear more about you and understand your background. So tell us a bit more about yourself. Sure. So I've been a financial advisor since 2009 and actually left in 2012 and went out and started my own financial planning firm. I was very young when I I got started in the business and I, I didn't know exactly what I was getting into or how the real world worked so to speak. And as I learned more, I realized, man, like I can really do so much more and make a bigger impact. And where I had started my career, it was a huge financial firm and it was heavily focused on product sales. And and it was all men. I think there was two other uh, female colleagues and I constantly felt like no matter how hard I tried, no matter how well I did, it was never enough. And I always was terrified of speaking up, asking for help, really doing what I wanted to do because it was so different. And I was afraid since I worked so hard to get ahead that they would just judge me for for being completely incompetent. As I worked in the industry more and asked more questions, uh, the more pushback that I got. So that's really what in a lot of details in between, but really what provoked me to go on my own and in I wanted to be able to do holistic financial planning, money coaching, and really focus on working with women. I saw such a gap and in feeling that gap myself personally, and in terms of there not really being a space to talk about money without judgment and feeling safe. So we we built up the firm since 2012 and and really making that our our core focus and it's been such a fun ride and journey and especially because we are still in business and when I had this idea in the beginning to focus on working with women every single male advisor male mentor uh, anyone who was considered quote-unquote super successful in the business was like that's a terrible idea why would you ever focus on just working with women you're not going to make any money 
<laughs> it's like a, a really nice feeling now to just sit back and be like, told you so. Awesome. Thank you so much for providing that background. I have so much to say. <laughs> I, I want to go back to working in a male dominated environment. You're mm-hmm. in financial services. I've come from a background of corporate finance and technology, both which are male dominated. When I worked in corporate finance, I, I definitely resonated with much of what you were saying, where sometimes it doesn't feel like you have a voice or people don't take you serious because you are a woman. Uh-huh. And when we tend to look at the trends in society and economics, men do hold most of the wealth. Although now what statistics are showing women are rising in the ranks and really becoming a bit more powerful in the positions they hold. And it's funny that someone would make that comment and say, why are you going to focus on women? You're not going to make any, you have to have a target market. Right. And the best part about that is, is what he said that followed that was you should really just focus on working with doctors and I'm like, but, but women are doctors, but it just like, didn't cross his mind. And so I guess it just speaks to, even though it was 2012, 2013, when I was having those conversations, the ideal in a lot of older uh, gentlemen, if you will, their mindset is just stuck 30 years ago. Definitely. And oh gosh, we can have a conversation just on that. (laughs) But I definitely want to move on because your background, you have so many licenses. I want to get into this so our listeners will understand. CHFC, what is that particular designation? So that is Chartered Financial Consultant. And what it is, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners maybe have heard of the CFC. Certified Financial Planner. The CHFC is the same curriculum as the CFP plus two additional courses. That is what that is for. And so it's just, it was a a program where you take a lot of different college courses to get additional education. And I am a huge advocate of always being an active student of the game. So I will never stop getting those certifications. Now, I've definitely heard of the CFA from my corporate finance days, and I saw CHFC, and I was like, oh, I haven't worked in finance in years, so (laughs) really would like to have that understanding, but you also hold the Series 7 and Series 66, so I want listeners to know that you are the real deal. Yes. Let's get into how did you get into this financial services area? Is this something you've always worked in, or... Let's go back to even when you were a child and talking about finances, how did this become a passion for you? I definitely did not grow up saying I wanted to be a financial advisor. That is for sure. I grew up, I didn't have uh, a lot of money. My mom was a single mom and we never went without because she always had a man to help and she was in relationships she wasn't happy being in, but stayed in them so that us girls could be okay. And so that was my, my experience growing up and knowing, I, I always knew that whatever I did when I was older, I would be able to always be independent without needing to rely on anyone. And I started working as young as I could. I was babysitting at uh, 10. 
I, I don't think that's legal anymore, but I was, it probably wasn't a great idea. And then I started working as a hostess at 13 and then always hustling as I went through school, college. And when I was in, in college, I, I actually wanted to be a family to help with families going through divorce and social work. And long story short, I had a couple of internships where I was like fall asleep in the courtroom. <laughs> and I was just so bored. I, the idea sounded great. And I was working, one of my many jobs at the time was working part-time as an assistant to a financial advisor. And when I got accepted into the JD MSW program, I had this midlife crisis at 21. And I was like, I don't think I want to do this for the rest of my life. I love helping people, but this just doesn't sound like my journey. And so uh, the advisor was like a grandfather figure. And, and he's like, why don't you do this? You still get to help people, but it is less taxing. It's always changing. And I think you'd be really great at it. And I literally didn't give it more than 20 minutes of thought. And I was like, okay, sure, you know, and let's do it. And so that's exactly what I did. And so I ended, ended up getting my licenses. And at that same time, I got my MBA with a concentration in finance, because back in the day, you had to have a master's, whether you used it or not, otherwise you were just nobody. I did that and, and I got right into it and just, I fell in love with the industry and I've been obsessed with it ever since. Wow. That's such an empowering story and journey. And Typically, when we're talking about finances and money, I like to understand the background of the person that's teaching or offering the product or service, because I'm a financial educator as well. And much of what yeah. both of us do crosses paths. So I would like to go back to the things that you're doing. I focus more on the budgeting aspect with my clients and the foundations of money and how they can change their mindset and become financially free and paying their bills on time. You're more focused on investments and retirement. Yes, that is absolutely part of what we do. And and what you do is, it's funny, I call it the boot camp before financial planning. <laughs> you need those fundamental basics, the, the spending plan, the mindset, the habits, the behaviors, and really gain ownership over those so that you're ready to do the financial planning piece. Because if you can't own the discipline, it'll be very difficult to see success in overall planning with the right investment strategy, with understanding how to plan well for retirement. And we say all the time, one of the biggest mistakes that we see women and in everyone in general planning for retirement is they have no idea what they're and they make too many assumptions. And it sounds so simple, but it's not easy. And I'm sure you can relate to that with all the clients that you work with and to own those fundamentals and to understand what your intentional spending number is like the, the first critical component to creating financial success there on after. Yes. And especially when we're talking about building wealth, of course, before you actually getting to that aspect of building wealth, what do you think the definition of wealth is? Or what is that for you? I think for me, the definition of wealth coincides with the word and concept freedom. Wealth, just like success, is a completely relative term. It is individualized depending on what you as a person fulfilled with. And, and that could be $10 million. It could be $100,000. It's your lifestyle. Where are you content um, in owning what makes you internally happy? 
and that's wealth. And, and everyone, depending on what that is, needs a different level uh, of wealth, be it your health, your mindset, and of course, financially. The, the more control you have over your money, the more control you have over your life, which essentially equates to me like the golden goose. It's, it's freedom, right? The ultimate ability to just do whatever the F you want. And if you could give listeners some tips on building their wealth, what would those be? It would be to take action. And before taking action, actually, and especially for women, take 20 minutes to an hour and sit with yourself and think. Think about where you want to see yourself going and write down those goals. So often we're on the hamster wheel and running the busyness of life. We never actually stop to think, what do I want? What do I want to create? And what does that look like? So write that down. And then after you think about that and write it down, take action. That's the thing that we forget to do. We talk about wanting to do things. We know we need to do them, but actually doing them and taking action on them are two, two totally different things. So take action, whether it's asking questions, whether it's hiring a professional, someone like you or someone like me who can help with that strategy, or starting to do the things, pay down your debt, start saving, learn and educate yourself about all the things that you want to accomplish. And, and what does that reverse engineering look like? Awesome. So many people, especially within this last year and what's happened with the pandemic of many people losing their jobs and spending their savings. And now you're at home with your kids, if you have them or really trying to figure out your life. I think it's been an eye opener for so many people to think about their financial future. Now, someone who's really trying to prepare for future challenges, who knows what's down the road, another pandemic or some major crisis, how can one ensure they are financially prepared for those challenges? Sure. I think the the first thing that you want to do is know exactly what you need on a monthly basis for your fixed expenses. So you're really going to want to think about, wow, if there's another crisis, can I feel unshakable if that happens? So how much money do you need? And I am a big fan of that six-month emergency reserve, maybe more if you're a business owner, of of cash on hand or or liquid money where you can pay for your expenses if another pandemic happens or an ebb and flow in your business. You really want to know your numbers. And then on another note, too, you want to look at your insurances because it's not just pandemic. It's not just potentially losing your job or becoming unemployed for a temporary period of time. But what if life happens? All these things that we want to say we're untouchable on because our brains immediately shut them out because it's painful to think about what if your house starts on fire or you're robbed? What is your homeowner's insurance or your car insurance if you're in an accident and your liability? And importantly, like you, who counts on you to live? Do you have adequate life insurance coverage? And are you protecting your family? Or maybe you want to think about generational wealth and and really the things that we, we don't naturally think about because we, we want to avoid that pain. And then lastly, the, the thing to consider too is disability insurance. How well are you covered and do you need your paycheck to support your lifestyle? And if that's the case, you're going to want to look into disability income insurance where 
you can protect your paycheck. If something happens to you, God forbid you're in an accident, hit by a drunk driver or cancer, illness, you you can have money coming in until you're well, until you get better and return to work. Because when we go through tragic times, the last thing you want to worry about is money. You want to make the best decisions for your health, your loved ones, and to know that you're covered helps add to that feeling of being unshakable. Definitely. And you touched some great points, but I wanted to go back to the emergency fund, the three to six months. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's something I focus on as well, but I've also had the personal experience of having to actually use the emergency fund. And I don't think a lot of people really focus on that. It's like you have the emergency fund and then what? Do you keep saving? Do you invest? Is it just your free money that you go out and spend? Before I really get into the grit of what I want Mm -hmm. to talk about, I would love to hear your opinion on a consumer reaching that three to six months emergency fund. And it's what do they do next with that money that they were putting towards their savings? Sure. Then you're ready for the next level. And and for us, what that is, it depends on what your goals are. So uh, some people want to then start saving toward their first home. So for for us, we'll say, okay, so now that you reach that emergency reserve, next step is 20% down payment, or maybe they're looking to start a family. How much does that look like if they need extra funds for maternity leave? Or are you taking advantage of all the free money in your employer 401k plan with that match? You always want to max out the match in a 401k. Are you taking advantage of Roth IRA accounts? So looking at retirement and then if it's a younger individual and they're maximizing retirement, I I then say start to think about that midterm bucket of wealth. It's that like a non-retirement investment account where you can put money in, your money can make money, outpace inflation is the goal. You're not going to touch it for more than, you know, 12 to 18, but it's still liquid. You can access it without a penalty. So if, if you need to pivot or change, you've got access to that money before you're 59 and a half. But to your point, you cannot touch that emergency reserve money. Like it is not free money. It is not money to go shopping with. It is there if something happens. And going back to the emergency fund. So we all think about what could happen if your car breaks down, if someone dies in the family, if you lose your job or whatever, everyone's emergency is different. I like to start off by saying that because what I consider an emergency, you may not. And the next person may, may not either, but it's all relative, right? I've been through three, I'd say huge life changes where I needed to use my emergency fund. And the first is definitely 0809 recession being laid off in corporate America. And I don't know if you remember back then, it was so hard to find a job. And I used my emergency fund, the cash on hand. I ended up taking money out of my 401k, which I know is an absolute no no. I even tell my clients that, but it's like when you're down to nothing, what do you do? And 2015, I voluntarily left corporate. So I don't think people think about like those things that are not necessarily quote unquote emergency, but things that you'd like to do in life, like to fund your dream. I wanted to take time off to build my brand and build my business. And it's like, how do you do that if you don't have consistent revenue from your business just yet? But even in between, like if you're working independent contracts and you're in between, I was in that particular situation, use my emergency fund. And then I did a bounce back. I said, 
I am going to save way more than three to six months because I found in those instances, three to six months wasn't enough. And some, <laughs> and it's debatable. I've had this, this conversation with so many finance people and, and I'm like, it's debatable. Of course, it depends on what's happening with the economy, how long it's taking to get back into the job market or whatever your goal is. But I said, I'm going to save $100,000. And so many people are like, what do you need? <laughs> why do you need this much saved like cash on uh, not necessarily having the cash, but having something that you can really fall back on in case your quote unquote emergency lasts a little bit longer than that six months. And so yeah. I, I started out with that goal. I had that goal. And then people are always asking like, do you just have the city in the savings account? And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> but I want to talk about like goal money goals and, and mistakes and let's say someone, they have the house, they have the three to six months of emergency funds. This is also debatable. People are saying people will take that extra money and they'll go out and buy themselves nice things, designer purses or doing the things they always wanted to do because they said, I have three, three to six months in the bank. I want to get into the retirement aspect, investing aspect, because so many people will put towards like the minimum, the 6% match or 3% match, or each company is different towards their 401k. What are some other ways that people can really maximize their retirement savings once they've reached their financial goals? So I think that what people want to think about in terms of retirement is that it is a number thing. It's not an age thing. And so just doing what the employer says you should do or up to their match and saying, hey, I'm fine and thinking you're going to retire at 67, like it's not enough. And, and what if you choose not to, you know, what if you choose to retire early? And so it's really that process of asking yourself, okay, what do I want it to look like at what age and how much do I like to spend? And will I spend that much in retirement? So maybe you're spending 100K now, you've got that number in my mind now. And that feels good, but you'll probably do more in retirement if you want to plan for, for that. And so it's knowing that. And then what we do is we help our clients figure out how much do you actually have to have saved to meet that. And maybe it's 55 you want to retire. And, and so we'll look at the, the amount that you need and then making sure you're on track to get there. So it, it may be that combination of maximizing your employer 401k plan, which if this is 2021, you can put up to... 19,500 in there plus more if you are over the age of 50. This indexes almost every year for cost of living adjustments. But then if you income qualify, you can consider a Roth IRA, which is that tax-free growth towards retirement as well. And you can also do if your business owner, you've got a myriad of, of options, which I won't get into the weeds now here because that could, I could get into the weeds there. Uh, and then also those, like I mentioned before, that the non-retirement accounts, because you can invest in those, you can be conservative, you can be super aggressive if it's for retirement, but that's where you can save all that overflow if you do have some pretty aggressive goals. For those folks who like to spend and not feel guilty about it, but may want to retire early, like your 401k often is not enough to get you to the finish line, especially nowadays with how much retirement costs. But it goes back to that spend. And then the cool thing is that once certainty, you're on track to meet your goals for retirement and anything that happens in between, you know how much you can spend without guilt. And, and we talk all the time, financial planning isn't so much about restriction and, and following a tight budget as it is 
feeling the freedom to be able to spend without anxiety because you're hitting the bench on every other component of your life. And when you shift your mindset that way too, it, it makes you feel more empowered about what you're doing because you can choose to spend on the things that matter and not have so much worry around everything else. Thank you so much for dropping all those gems. <laughs> I, I definitely want to get more back into women and money because as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I come across so many women who have been in a relationship and a marriage and they're not necessarily building for themselves, whereas everything will be in the spouse's name. And when they get divorced, they typically walk away with nothing. They'll say, oh, I didn't have any credit. Everything was in my husband's name. Or maybe they were a stay-at-home mom for a long period of time. So they weren't necessarily saving for their 401k or any type of retirement. What are some of the recurring themes that you see when it comes to women and money? I, I see often lack in confidence and feelings of shame a lot where we'll have women come to us whether they just went through a divorce or they would love to be divorced they don't know if they can afford and they're looking for help in in terms of how can I be independent and support myself but usually it takes them a long time to get to us. As soon as they need help, they don't call us. It takes time because they feel like they should know the thing. They feel embarrassed of where they are at their age or in their 40s and they're just starting all over again. Oh my goodness, am I ever going to be able to retire? Uh, What is she going to think of me? What if I get judged? Is there help for me? And all of these questions of self-doubt go through our minds in terms of maybe I'll just keep doing the thing because I'm never going to retire or I'm never going to get ahead. And we tell ourselves this wild story before we we get the aha moment of, shoot, I might as well just ask to, to see what happens and hopefully we make it comfortable enough. But that's what we see most is the not asking for help because you feel helpless, which is actually the first chapter of our book because we saw it so much. And and that coincides with the confidence piece and thinking like, maybe I'm not worth it or I'm not sure where to go or who to ask. That's a theme that we see over and over again with a lot of women and especially women who did just get divorced or want to be Those are the women that typically also have those confidence barriers a lot of the time. I try to be so motivational when I'm speaking to women Mm -hmm. because we've been in this place of despair uh, in the past. And now, of course, like the present and the future looks amazing for women from a financial standpoint. But on the opposite side of the coin, you have women who are busy, you have women who are successful, and maybe they actually are able to set the ground for having a financial future. For someone who is in that busy mindset, successful mindset, what are some suggestions that you can give to them to own their financial future? They are a lot of the same suggestions I give to everyone. And look, don't get me wrong. Like I think regardless of where you're starting as a woman, whether you're crushing it in the corporate world or you're uh, feeling broken after ending a a horrible relationship, like everyone has the ability to own their financial future and everything is figure outable. I don't care where you are in your life. And so for those women who are busy and and out there crushing it, it, it's the same fundamentals. It's asking yourself, what do you want to achieve and pause to take a minute to make sure that you have a plan in place for that, right? You have a plan in place to make sure with certainty 
you're going to accomplish what you want and you're prepared for the things that you don't see coming. So Nicole, one of the things that I live by is understanding your personal finances and how that can really impact you as an entrepreneur, how you manage a business. And we have so many people stepping up to become entrepreneurs and starting a business, especially women. We have more women coming to the forefront of entrepreneurship, coming to the forefront of corporate America as well. But what are some of the biggest challenges that you see with women who are business owners? They hate knowing their numbers. A lot of the business owners that I work with in, and usually they're service-based, is they, they hate paying attention to the numbers. It's overwhelming to them, or they're afraid to see them because they're going to align it with not being good enough or where they thought they were going to be or thoughts of value. And that can be scary. And this, the number one thing we see is them not knowing their numbers or just trusting their professionals without asking questions and really understanding what they need to hit to meet their goals, but more importantly, how they could become more profitable and focusing on the services or the products that they provide that give them the best profit. Revenue and profit are two totally different things, and it's important to understand that. And so truly knowing your numbers. And then another thing that I'm going to mention too, because I see this a lot with women, is they are over generous with their time. And so another thing that I hear uh, women entrepreneurs say over and over again is I'm exhausted and I'm overwhelmed because often they have a difficulty saying no, a difficulty setting healthy boundaries and really understanding that time equals money. And I say often, hey, if someone said, hey, real quick, just help me for one hour. If someone said, hey, real quick, just give me a thousand dollars would you be just as generous? Because every time that you're spending time on something or money, you're giving up the opportunity for something else. And so really taking ownership of your schedule, your time, setting those boundaries, saying no, and and focusing on where you need to be, constantly putting your money where your goals are, and then understanding all of the numbers in your business so that you can focus on what is most productive and the highest and best use of your time. Definitely. And I feel you with the over generous with time. I had this conversation with a woman yesterday. Oh gosh, that, that can lead to a longer conversation, but (laughs) I want to get into some final questions and are we nearing the end of the podcast? And with, with my brand, again, it's focused on budget. I live by this phrase, and this is also a phrase that's incorporated into my brand, balling on a budget. And Nicole, I would love to know what does that phrase mean to you? First of all, I love it. I think that's so great. But to me, it means actually put, I, my, so my phrase is putting your money where your goals are and falling on a budget to me sounds just like that, right? You're sticking to the budget, you're sticking to the plan, but you're still having fun and you're still able to spend on the things that bring you joy, but cutting out the dumb shit. And so you're making that compromise with yourself between making your future self proud and also having a little YOLO in your life. I love it. (laughs) One of the things that really attracted me to linking with you for this podcast interview was the name of your book. So you are an author. And I would say when I first saw the title, I was like, it's a bit controversial. (laughs) I want to go ahead and let you tell us the name of your book and tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. So the name of our book is Money Bitch. 
a no BS guide for smart women who want to own their financial future. I co-wrote the book with my partner, Sarah, and we, to us, a, a money bitch is definitely controversial, but we we used that title for two reasons. One, we knew it would be catchy and different, and we wanted to take the stigma out of money being uncomfortable and pack it with a super powerful, impactful punch for, for women to, to really own their future. And so for us, the, in the, the idea of the book is to say, look, being a money bitch is having total control of your money, your future, knowing what you want, knowing who you are, knowing how to ask for help and having confidence around your money and making super smart decisions, whether it is asking for help saying no, investing wisely, choosing the right team and planning for that retirement that you worked so hard for. And we wanted to write a book behind all of that by telling these really fun stories using real life examples so that women could read it and really just say, hey, wow, me too, or I'm not alone and not feel completely overwhelmed with like really stupid financial jargon that we see all too often that doesn't resonate and it doesn't make an impact. I love it. And when I saw the title, I was like, I have to have her on the podcast. They can grab our book on our website, both of them, wilcoxfinancialgroup.com or Her House Money. They are on each website and then also on the uh, our Instagram, How Her House Money Coaching. And what I'll do for any of your listeners who do follow us on Instagram and send us a DM that they want the book Money Bitch and mention your podcast, we'll give them $5 off. Oh, that's amazing. So I will definitely post the links to your website and book in the show notes. I've enjoyed having you on the podcast, Nicole. This has been such a great conversation. We can go on and on in relation to every topic we've discussed. But of course, this is a short show. And I'd love to have you back down the road for another conversation. Do you have any last words for the listeners today? So I would love for every listener after they're done with this podcast to take five and think about what you want and who you're becoming and to start putting your money where your goals are. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with Angel online on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss RMBA. That's M-I-S-S-R-M-B-A. Be sure to subscribe and review. Join us next time as we continue to empower you through milestones, motivation, and money.